welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. To start off, I will start the question. What's the most embarrassing thing your mum and dad have ever done to you? You're looking at me because it was the most recent, wasn't it? Maybe. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know if it was embarrassing. I felt very embarrassed and very awkward, but it wasn't something mum did to me. But when I was about 13, um, I, was on, I was on a trip to Sydney with mum and she'd just come off a, an ear infection. Um, and going in a plane just after an ear infection was probably not the smartest idea, but she did it, and we spent the entire time with her projectile vomiting everywhere in the plane. And I sat there, like, knowing the entire plane was looking at it, because it wasn't just the projectile, it was the sound as well. So I was sitting there next to mum as a 13-year-old boy with her vomiting everywhere, it was like a little bit like a high-pitched scream when she vomited as well. <laughs> so we got a lot of attention from the air hostesses and other people around us, and I just wanted to curl up. I'm really glad we've all finished eating. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you've all finished eating. So it wasn't something she actively did. I don't think. My, my parents were pretty good in not trying to go out the way to embarrass me, which I appreciate. But, yeah, I wanted to curl up and not be seen. At that moment. <laughs> I love my dad lots. Shall I tell one dad? Is that okay? <laughs> I reckon um, the, the, the only one, the one thing I could think of was um, when I would go to youth group and dad would come pick me up just at that 12, 13, you know, age where I was still like kid but not kid. So dad would like come in and he'd rub my hair and grab me around the neck and I'd be like, stop embarrassing me. But I know he loves me. I love my dad very much. <laughs> uh, I had a hard time thinking about anything specific because I think that my dad loved to embarrass me um, <laughs> at every opportunity. Um, love you, dad, if you're listening. Um, uh, I did. I did think of one particular story that was so traumatic. I think I'd put it out of my memory for a long time. But um, at one stage, I probably would have been maybe eight or nine, and my parents bought me this pair of pants that were this yellow, but sort of almost a little bit sort of translucent, sort of see-through. And um, I remember, <laughs> yeah. Yep, well, that story ends there. That's embarrassing. <laughs> it, it, sounds, it sounds bad enough already, doesn't it? But it gets better um, because my dad, thinking that he was being funny and that I wouldn't believe him, um, told me that because they were a little bit see-through, it was really important to make sure that I wore dark-coloured underwear to make sure that people knew that I was wearing some. <laughs> and I completely bought it, <laughs> went to church that morning wearing, like, black underwear under these see-through yellow pants. And, yeah, <laughs> when I realised that he wasn't actually serious and that that's not what you're actually supposed to do, I was mortified. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, that's the end of the story. So I grew up in different environment, different country, like unlike you guys. So back there in the Philippines. So the Proverbs that says, I forgot the, the exact chapter and verse anyway, that uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. So it's very, what we call that, uh, very applicable in the Philippines. So the parents that are usually discipline their children with really with a whip or a rod. I mean, literally. See, if you commit something like a mistake or wrong, then your parents will hit you really. Yeah, and it's somewhat painful. And there was an embarrassing moment for me as that as well. Not, uh, not really with my dad, but with my mom who is always at home. So he's, I will, I'll call her some, somewhat for someone like a disciplinarian. So there was a stage when uh, it was a fault in a way with my siblings. We went to a beach, and then we got swimming there, and then we live, we live. Uh, near uh, a copra company, like a coconut factory, who is unloading, unloading copra, something like that. And some of them are being spilled to the sea. And because of that, and it's worth money, actually, during the stage. If you can gather this, you know, copra, we call that copra, that's a dried coconut, used to sell and to extract oil to get a coconut oil. That's what copra means. So we gather it, and we were not aware that it's been all almost three hours, and it's past lunchtime, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and when we got home, uh, before we got home, actually, so along the way, our mom met us along the way, and with some of the people staring at us, and we really whipped, really whipped, hit with a whip, something, something like that, and we were crying, and I was about 13 or 14 years old at the time already, <laughs> so not a little kid. So I was really embarrassed during that time, you know. Um, but later I realized it was a mistake, actually. But being, you know, being disciplined in front of other people, and at that age, at a major age, so somewhat embarrassing. <laughs> because yeah, with people looking around you, crying and being being whipped at that stage. But yeah, really, but. No regrets. It's been part of our discipline anyway. So probably I was, I am what I am right now because of those instances as well. Yeah, but that's all for me. <laughs> so kids, be careful, okay? So <laughs> babe, and obey your parents. <laughs> okay, question one. Dan, is that you? Why is it so hard to accept God's love? Because we know how much we suck. But I think the, the reality is, is that we, we sort of recognize all the faults in ourselves because we live our own lives and we, we see what's going on for us. We often don't see that in other people as well because we tend to try and keep what's going on for us pretty private. So we often think that we're not worthy of God's love for that reason, I think. Um, there's a song that I really like that one of the lines in it is that the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. Um, and I think that's, that's really applicable here in the sense that as humans, we, we have this innate sense of fairness. We have this innate sense of wanting things to be just. But the reality is, is that God loving us isn't fair or just because we don't deserve that. So I think we recognize that. 
Um, so when it comes to accepting that, it, it means accepting something that's not fair and accepting something that we know we don't really deserve. And that can be pretty difficult, I think. Um, I was thinking about this a little bit as well. And um, I think sometimes, I mean, we know that we all have different experiences growing up. We have different family lives and different uh, moments in our life. And probably a lot of us have had moments where somebody in some way, shape or form has said something to us that makes us feel like we're less than lovable. Um, and so sometimes if, if we've struggled with feeling loved or lovable by others in our life, then it can make that difficult for us to understand why God would love us. And I think, like you say, it's very much about that. You know, we're very aware of our shortcomings. We're very aware of our, our faults. Um, sometimes I think it's because we rely on feelings um, more than we actually rely on what God says about us. And if we feel like we've messed up, if we feel like we're a failure, if we feel like, you know... We're, we're unlovable, then that tends to be what dominates our thinking about what's real. And what we need to do is to come back to um, what Scripture says, um, what the Bible says about um, who God is. And, and I think, um, you know, we have verses like Romans 5, 8 that says, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And I think in our, in our culture, we have this very performance-based kind of mentality about, you know, uh, the people who do really well and excel get honoured and those who do badly sort of get um, less honour, if you like. And so there's this kind of performance thing that creeps into our thinking. But love is, is really not about that. Um, love is... Uh, for some reason, and I can only blame the Holy Spirit, but I was awake at three o'clock this morning with words of Shakespeare in my head, which was absolutely strange, but it was from one of his sonnets that says, Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, nor bends with the mover to remove. No, it is an ever-fixed mark. And basically what that's saying, if you don't speak <laughs> Shakespearean English, um, is basically saying like real love is not fickle. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't change uh, when it says does not alter when it alterations fine. It's, you know, Kerry's not going to stop loving me as I get older and as I get a few wrinkles and as I put on a few extra kilos around the middle and start sprouting hair out of my ears and my nose and <laughs> things, um, she'll still love me. Um, and, and, it's, and how much more so is it with God who, who is the very definition of love? He loves not because we perform well or because we're extremely good looking or, you know, because we are really good at being Christians or any of that kind of stuff. He loves because it is just his nature to love. And I think there's times when we actually need to come back to what Scripture says about who God is and, and that aspect of his divine character uh, and nature. So I should let someone else talk or we'll be here <laughs> for hours. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> That's really good. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's no other condition for that. So, probably in my personal perspective, and based on my experience with other people as well, who is really, you know, there's a fear of 
um, accepting God's love or should I we say going to God because he's uh, you would think of something God wants them to do first before coming to God. Something like uh, they feel like need to do more to do some more or to de- need to do more responsibility before accepting God or going to God's love. But actually it's not the point. So God loves us unconditionally. All we need to do is just to come to him and then receive his love. The, as simple as that. As simple as that. We didn't need to do anything, just have faith. That's what that verse says. So he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him, so just have faith in him. Um, that question raises my, uh, what comes up in my, in my mind is about the prodigal son. And probably you know about that story. So before before that son was going to get back to his to his dad, to his, to the love of his his father, before going to that, what did he do? Of course, there's the remorseful anyway, but he has some sort in his thinking in his mind to think what he is going to say, how is he going to approach his dad, what is he going to say so that his dad would forgive him about his sin, so that he has what we call that a a practice or rehearsal in his mind going on before approaching God. Because he, he seemed to think that if he's going to say this, if he's going to do this, my God or my Father will forgive me and will accept me. But we know about this story. When he's on his way, he's just approaching his dad. Was he able to say these things? Was he able to demonstrate something anything or doing something else that God will forgive him or that father will will forgive him? No. His dad just embraced him and even you know, before he could say anything God, his dad himself did the thing to reconcile both of them because dad sees in him that his, his son was going back to him and have faith in him and ask forgiveness about his sins. That's all we need. That's what God wanted. So, yeah, I could see that we, we might be fearful in approaching God or accepting God's love because of other things that God wants us to do or we need to do something else, a pre-work that we need to done before approaching God. But actually, God wants us just have faith in him, approach him in his love. Yeah, and because he's a God of love, nothing yeah. else. Yeah, it's a it's a gift. It's not earned, it's a gift. Isn't it? yeah. It's not earned. He demands yeah. nothing of us. Just have faith in him. That's all. Anything to add? Mm, the only thing I think I would add to that is that I think that we um, we what's the word? I don't know. <laughs> Um, when it comes to love, there's this world's view of love. And I think mm. that we often look at what that is and what that means and then we we put that onto God rather than looking at what God's word is first and then that is how he loves us, not how the world loves. Yeah. Because um, the world is very fickle and stuff. So the world would say that when Caleb does get wrinkles and starts sprouting hairs out of his ears and knows that I might look for someone else, but, um, you, you know, that's, that's what's happening in the world, isn't it? You know, like, um, but, yeah, God's, God's love is, is um, not defined by the world's. Mm. Yeah. Cool. 
Next question. Next yep. question. Question two. Who has question two? How do you deal with the injustice of this world? And the second part, how do you how do you detach from the reality of not being able to help everyone? Anybody <laughs> want to start? What's the first? The first one was how do you deal with the injustice of the world? Yeah, I think um, I'll I'll dive in. Um, I think that for me it helps to remember that we have no basis for expecting justice from the world. Um, only only God is is perfectly just. Only God is good, and when we expect the world to be just, we're always going to be disappointed. When we expect the world to operate according to God's values, when the world doesn't know God, then um, we're, we're always going to find that it lets us down because the world is full of broken, flawed, imperfect people who don't even come close to justice um, because we, we aren't qualified to deal out justice. We aren't qualified to judge. Um, only God is qualified to judge and you, we, we see that in, in so many situations, there are so many situations that we can look at in the world. I mean, there, there are often times where we look at something and go, well, that's just black and white, that's cut and dried, you know, this is right and that's wrong. And then there are, there are things that come out about that circumstance that we didn't know about, um, you know, that, that person that we thought was just an evil person, um, you know, had, had trauma in the background that led them to become what they were or, you know, those kinds of things. And there's always information about the story that we didn't know and, and things. And so, you know, Scripture tells us that only God is qualified to be the judge. Um, so I think for me it helps to not expect justice. We know that justice will come one day when God, come, when, when God judges, when He sits on the throne and He judges... Um, and my computer's just died, so there go my notes. Um, <laughs> trying to remember what I wrote. Um, uh, yeah, but but until until that time, there there will be injustice. The second part of the question was: How do you detach from the reality? Detach from? No, I didn't write anything on this one because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How do we detach from the reality of not being able to help everyone? Um, so for me as well, I think with this one, um, I, rem- I, I have to remember that my job is not to help everyone. Um, the world already has a saviour and that's Jesus, it's not me. Um, I'm not called to help everybody because I don't have the resources, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the answers for every question. Um, but what I am called to do as a Christian is to help the people that God brings along my path, the, the person who's in front of me. And when, uh, if you remember when Jesus was asked, these, asked, there was some people asking Jesus questions and they were saying, you know, what's the most important thing for followers of God to do to make sure that God is happy with us? Um, and remember what Jesus' answer was, love God and love your neighbour. And of course, the first question that, they, that comes out of their mouth after that is, well, who's my neighbour then? Who do I have to help? Who do I have to love? Um, and Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan who, um, who saw somebody in need and showed mercy towards them. 
And I think that, for me, that it comes back to that. There's always going to be other people. But the reality is, too, that we are not alone in serving God. We are part of the body of Christ. And there are millions and millions and millions of people all around the world who are being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it's not my responsibility to help everybody all the time. There will always be situations that are beyond my reach, but I have to trust that God has a plan um, for that. Yeah. I reckon I find that, you know, being a counsellor and having lots of people come across my path, there are lots of problems that I can't solve for people. They have to solve it for themselves. But there is that thing that you learn in, in that is um, controlled... Um, I don't like my words keep on disappearing. It's just one of these things when you're in front of people, right? Um, <laughs> that you have to be controlled about, you know, that the emotional um, response you have and what you take away with you. And I think it, that's one thing that we have to learn as someone who deal, like, gets involved in lots of people's lives and problems and stuff is that um, there has to be a way that you can manage to not let it weigh you down. And like, so like I'll say like my way is I'll go back to God and say, hey, God, this is yours. This person belongs to you and to be able to sort of give it back to him Mm. Um, because I can't literally solve everybody's problems. No. And I think sometimes we're called to walk alongside somebody through a difficult time, not to fix it. And sometimes that's just as valuable. You know, the, the, in Jewish culture, there's that practice when somebody um, uh, is bereaved or, or loses a family member, then everyone will come in the, what they call sitting shiva, which is basically just sitting there with that person, being present with that person and not saying anything. They're not trying to fix it. They're not trying to make them feel better or, you know, solve the problem um, because it's not solvable, but just to sit and be present and, and go through that that struggle alongside that person. I think sometimes that's what we're called to do more than fixing things. I just share my experience about this um, injustice. Injustice for me is just like, in a bigger sense, we might say, consider political injustice or something like that. Um, I'm going to answer this question based on my personal experience as well. It's usually at work. I know you can relate to this with some of you. There are injustices also in, at work. You know, sometimes you get a question: Why that person is got promoted than me when I'm beating, when, when I am performing better than him, or something like that? And why is it my boss is dealing very good with this person and not to me? Something like that. We can we can see that injustice almost every day even at work. So what really, before I became a Christian, it's really a big deal for me. But when I became a Christian, I, I get a new perspective in life. I see things differently now when God is with me. So having things like that, I would just think to think that God is doing this because he has a message for me. So all we need to do is just to show to them that really, um, living as a witness for Christ, to see them that Christ is really living with me. And just work as if working for God and not for men. And yeah, when you, in, when you, um, what I say this, when you tend to live according to this with God's principle, injustice becomes justice. 
God will be will deal with you and we show you things and will God himself will uh, reward you in a different way. Um, year 2016 when I was uh, working laboratory still in Melbourne. So I was I was retrenched so I once <laughs> I was terminated or not terminated but retrenched <laughs> from work. So uh for me, it was uh, the biggest injustice that was being done to me when I, when I know I was performing very well compared to other person, to other, other employees, but I was the one who got retrenched. But looking at the other perspective, so God showed me some other ways. One is that probably to get back here in Wayala, I don't know. Yes, that could be right. one. Yeah. <laughs> and being retrenched helped me to <laughs> help me also to get rid of some of my personal loans and debts. So getting me debt free <laughs> about that. That's one thing. And yeah, God is showing me about some missions. I have some missions in life that He wants me to do about here to to be with that. So yeah, yeah. So. Injustices are coming, injustices are happening in every walks of life, everywhere in this world. So dealing with it is quite hard unless we see what God's purpose is actually. And it's it's very broad. I don't have a very I don't have a direct answer to that. But we should look at something what God why God allowed this to happen. I know that we ha- he has a purpose and why that happened. And yeah, we cannot, we don't have the answers to that, all of us, I believe. We have Jesus. He's only the answer to that question. And that's why Jesus always telling us that, that we should go. Go, preach, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because he knows, and we know this is the only solution to every injustice in the world and nothing else. And that's for me. I think sort of building on what Caleb said as well um, is that the reality is that the sense of justice comes from this idea of order. Um, and the reality is that God is that creator of, or- of order. He's the only reason that order exists. And any sense of justice or order in our world today is as a result of that. Um, so justice and order, as sort of Caleb said, it's not, that's not the expected. The expected in the world is chaos and injustice, and that's the neutral position. And any justice that there is or any order that there is, that's actually from God in mm. the first instance. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's Katie. Next question. We have some very wise people on the panel today. Um, <laughs> question three. Uh, this is the hardest question, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> How do you look after your health when you are seen as a tent pole and everyone is looking to you to keep them up, happy, and healthy? I'll go Eric first. Wants to start. Okay. I'll start with so I just want to open the verse on <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven <laughs> to ten. <laughs> you stole mine. <more>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just write this. Uh, this about 
Paul's prayer to God. He shared this. We know Paul. He's what we call the super apostles. So he just laid their hands on the sick and the illness will go away. Miracles like that. That was Paul and the other apostles. But Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. And I think you know about the story. And according to Bible scholars, this thorn in the flesh is somewhat like a disease or illness that he has got. So, yeah, yeah. so you might be looking at Pastor Caleb, so he should be something like be a model to every aspect in life, including health. But no, it's not. You look at Paul, he has got thorn in the flesh, and he pleaded the Lord. He asked the Lord four, three, four times to get it away from me, to heal him from that disease or illness. But the Lord said to him, no, I will not, because my strength is made uh, made strong in your weaknesses, in your illness. So that's what he showed it. So Christians are not free from illnesses or sicknesses, let alone our pastor is, or whoever that, what we call the prophets, the new prophets of the new times. No, um, we all have illnesses or sicknesses that we we catch or we 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 feel or we we gain. But the good thing is we can always pray for for us, ask God for for healing and healing and God will perform miracle on that. But nevertheless, it's up to God really. And yeah, we are not really that super healthy like Christians. Because some would tend to say, oh, you should not, you should not have illness, or you should not uh, catch uh, sicknesses because you're already a Christian. You're, you are covered with the blood of Jesus, you, you, so you should not be, uh, be in sickness or catch any diseases. No, it's not. It's not what the Word says. It's not what the Bible says. So it's done with the Word. But yeah, those things will happen. And firstly is, yeah, to manifest God's strength. And to, yeah, for us, that we really depend and rely on God for this kind of um, situations or scenarios. Yeah, that was a similar sort of angle that I was coming from in the sense that Paul was very much the, the tent pole for the early church um, and sort of supported so many um, churches in that early days and what would have been on his plate was ridiculous. But when he had issues, when he had problems, we always see consistently his first point of call was God and going to him and finding peace in him. Um, and he says, I don't know if it's later in that book or if it's in the next letter uh, to Corinthians, where he talks about, um, like, why are you worried about what food you're getting? Why are you worried about where you're going to sleep tonight? Why are you worried about this, this and this? Like, Seek first God and the rest will come. Like The rest yeah. just falls into place. Matthew 6. Jesus. Is it? Was it? I'm getting really confused then. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah. So, but I think that, that idea of, of not worrying about, or not, not worrying about is the wrong word, because we we, those things are important, but it's about priorities. What are we putting first? And if we yeah. put God as the cornerstone, if we put those cornerstones in first, everything else naturally fills in the gaps. Yeah. Um, but if we go in and we get hung up on worrying about all these little things around us, what's going on for other people, um, what's going on in this and how we have to be the, the problem solver or the fixer or we, you know, we're responsible for what's going on all around us, if we get caught up on that without first going to God, 
then we're doing it in our own strength. Um, and that's when we'll break and that's when we'll, we'll crack. Mm. Yes. Yes, th- this, this question is a whole counselling session. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which we don't have time for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I think that that's, um, it is something really important to learn how to go to God first and to like not be that problem solver for everybody. And I think that sometimes we get trapped into that place if we are the quickest at being the problem solver in our family or we have the answers or, you know, we're the healthiest or whatever, then we kind of get caught into that trap of being that tentpole. And I think that it's important to remember that everybody has to take responsibility for themselves. And if we... Uh, and that, that's where the counselling session comes in, you know, like stopping and looking at ourselves and having some self-awareness about what are we doing... Are we sort of like doing too much for someone else? Do we need to kind of step back and let them make some choices for themselves and some decisions for themselves, even if they fail? Um, and to to see ourselves less as the person that's holding everything up. Yeah. Mm. And that rest, that's really important. And I think that's probably, I would say that's something that I've gone through this year is learning how to rest in God um, and learning how to not be everybody's problem solver. <laughs> it's difficult to do if you've got so much on your plate yep. to, to come with an attitude of rest. Yes. That's a really hard mindset yeah and so then i think of um matthew can't think of the number right now um come to me all you who are weary um and yeah burdened and i'll give you rest and um yeah to then come out of a place of serving and looking after people around you when you've gone to god first and gotten peace and rest from him first yeah yes um i the, the scripture that I mentioned before about Jesus talking about the greatest commandment, the first one was love God. Love God comes before love your neighbour. Um, and I think we've got to make sure that we're keeping that priority right, that our relationship with God is our primary responsibility before anything else. Um, uh, that doesn't mean we, we neglect family or we we you know withdraw and become insular at the point of selfishness but it's that same you know when you when you go on an airplane and they give you the safety talk you know what do they tell you in loss of oxygen put your own mask on first and then you're you're equipped to be able to help somebody else um and this is something i know god's been been challenging me on a lot um and and developing further in my life is that um uh, having that foundation of my own relationship with God being more stable and more solid and, and investing more into my relationship with God than trying to help all of you develop yours. Um, that's part of my calling and my responsibility, but it's secondary after my responsibility to maintain my personal relationship with God. And rescuing other people will always end up, will usually end up badly <laughs> for yourself. Yeah, if that's the that, only that's way. Right. If that's Ultimately, the only purpose is to yeah. rescue someone. We we can't be responsible, and we aren't responsible for anybody else's happiness or well-being. 
ultimately they're responsible for that and they need to also learn to to look to Christ for that and not to um, look to to people to to be holding them up mm. all right we're not going to get through all of our questions today by the look of it but no, <laughs> talking too much. obviously are Question four. Is, is there someone oh, who yeah. has a question out there who's like, I really want this one to be answered, rather than having to go in on, on in an order? Have you, who wants their question? Like, that? it's not your specific question because these are random, right? You've been given them randomly. Looks like they want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Annie? Annie has one? Hang on, Annie, let Katie come to you. Is there a second heaven? Is there a second heaven? Does anybody want to... Do you want me to answer this one? Or? Well, I was going to say, my understanding of the question was referring to... Because Paul referred to a third heaven. Mm. So therefore, by context, you would assume there's a first and second heaven. My understanding of this um, is we often see the language of heaven used within the context of, like, the sky, and we often hear it used in the context of the the universe, and then, obviously, a supernatural heaven as well. Um, So when Paul talks about third heaven, he's referring to a supernatural heaven, like a spiritual heaven. Um, But when we talk about, like, a first or second heaven, they're... uh, they're a physical place. Is that? Yeah. That's sort of how I understand. Yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's my take on it. I mean, as well. I think um, we're talking about one scripture. Like we're sort of basing a concept off one scripture, really. That's that's right. Yeah, yeah. and most of the references in uh, certainly in the Old Testament around that language is like you know when we talk about the heavens and the earth, or yeah. you know the the stars in the heavens and things like that. So they would often refer to the the immediate sort of. Uh, atmosphere around the earth as the first heaven because that's sort of the it's not the, the physical st- the earth physical, but yeah. it's it's the sky and where the birds are and then the second heaven was what's beyond that what we would refer to as space where you know the moon is stars sun and all that kind of stuff so in that sense um the the second heaven is what we might refer to as as space i think the more important part there is paul was referring to an unseen heaven yeah, and I think that was sort of the Spiritual the intent dimension. of the, the yeah. yeah the intent of the language there was sort of replicating language that was used, um, not to necessarily define tiers of heaven, yeah, but sort of just use a a, a piece of language that they had to yes to explain a yeah. concept. Yeah. As long as I will be in heaven someday, regardless of first, second, third. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care if it's first, second, or third. No. <laughs> Got time for one more? Janice, all right. How can a loving God allow so much suffering? Well, just a quick one to finish on, hey? <laughs> I like how you gave us all easy balls. We can just like... <laughs> Goodness, mate. I'll kick off. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> Suffering. We'll, we'll, we'll try to be concise and, and well, not drag. We could spend a lot of time answering this question, well, but we'll try to be brief, won't we, Eric? Yes. Yeah, I'll try to be very brief. Yes, I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we all knew that, um, yes, our Lord went through suffering as well. We know about that. He tells, tells us about that. He told us about that. And he told us as well that we are not greater than our master. When our master faces suffering, so are we. So we are not exempted to that. So I don't know why God allow. I don't know even allow is the correct word, but yeah, shall we say for we God allowed suffering because without any suffering we could not really appreciate what real joy is. Something that is something like uh, what we call that relatively. So you you won't understand what real joy is unless you go into suffering. Does the Lord wants everyone to suffer? Uh, probably not, but he would probably allow us to go into suffering so that we'll know what the real joy is later on. Yeah, would you like that? I, Just um, a kick out. <laughs> I watched Pinocchio last week with the kids, um, <laughs> of all things. And gee, there's some powerful allegory in there and powerful pictures. And, but one of the, the senses that I got from it was that you have Geppetto, the, master, the puppet master, who's created this amazing puppet he's a good puppet maker but his relationship with Pinocchio the puppet is just it's just there because Pinocchio can't do anything himself he's he's a puppet he does whatever God tells him but the relationship between Geppetto and Pinocchio is given a a proper opportunity when Pinocchio has the option of free will and when he's given that chance to do things in his own strength and to do things of his own. So when he's able to go and do that, and sure, Pinocchio gets up to some mischief and finds some suffering along the process, but that's how that relationship with Geppetto, with the maker, is actually going to be strong, is actually going to build. Because if Geppetto sort of confide um, Pinocchio to just being a puppet that did whatever he said and Pinocchio had no choice in the matter then that's not a relationship. And we were made to be in relationship with God. So that as a result of that, we need to have free will, which unfortunately is a two-edged sword because we can choose not to be perfectly in line with God's will for us. And that's happened. And that's where we're at. And that's where suffering comes from. But the beauty of that free will is that when we do enter into that relationship with God, it is so much more beautiful and powerful than it would be without it. Like it's actually, it's really necessary for a relationship because otherwise, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's slavery, and that's not what, not what we are. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that God hates to see people suffering. God hates pain, and and He's promised that one day He's going to wipe it out and that it's going to be no more. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more uh, pain and suffering, no more tears. Um, and he's going to erase it all forever. But I, I was thinking about this and, and I think it, it's easy for us to say, why does God allow it? Sometimes it's a little bit harder, but maybe a more helpful question to ask, why do we allow so much suffering in the world? Because we do, don't we? There's a lot of suffering that we see around us that 
is even within our power to do something about and we choose just, not to. Just our own suffering, like personal suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, if, if we're honest, it's, it's, uh, it's not even just pain that we allow, but also suffering that we cause. Um, and, uh, but, I, but I think too that at times I see the benefit, like I think Eric was kind of talking about and alluding to, that, that God sees things from eternal perspective that sometimes we lose track of. Sometimes we're very, very focused on the here and the now and this world and what we experience in this world. And we forget that God sees things from the perspective of eternity. And I have to, uh, I, when I kind of start thinking about that and rem- remembering that, it, it then sort of brings into to play the question of, well, what, what's the kind of alternative to allow somebody to experience some temporary pain in order that they might enter into eternity with God of joy and peace? Or to take away somebody's suffering here in this moment, which is only temporary, but in doing so, to condemn them to an eternity of being apart and separate from God. And I think that sometimes what we perceive as being um, this monumentous kind of suffering, not that God enjoys seeing people suffering, but that He might allow it to happen in our life, allow struggle allow difficulty, allow trials, because it actually draws us to Him and leads us to, to His saving grace and to salvation in Him. Um, but, you know, th- there will always be moments that we, um, we see things that we don't understand. Um, it reminded me, uh, you talked about the story of the prodigal son before. This question actually reminded me of that story because we know that the prodigal son suffered during the story, don't we? You know, he, he was at a point, like he, he lived the high life for a while, but he got to a point where he was so poor, he was eating food scraps alongside pigs. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of put any other label on that. Um, now, did the father love his son? Absolutely. Um, did uh, the son suffer? Yes. Did the father cause his suffering? No. And I think that's important to remember that distinction as well, as the difference between um, allowing or, or not stepping in to prevent suffering and causing it. Sometimes we want to blame God for causing things as if that somehow he orchestrated events to make us miserable. Um, but that's not the case. But the suffering was of his own doing. And, and it ended the moment that he, he repented and came back and um, returned to his father. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really important picture too of um, sometimes we suffer um, because of choices that we make. Now, now, obviously, that's not in every situation. There's a lot of times when that's not the case, but sometimes it is the case. There's all kinds of reasons why there's suffering. We can talk about sin. We can talk about the brokenness of the world. We can talk about free will and and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, um, I, I, I think that all of those things serve to draw us to the God who heals, to the God who restores, to the God who walks beside us through pain. Um, and restores joy and peace even in the midst of trials and, and difficult circumstances.
Yeah, like if all if all suffering and all pain was just like a flick, a, a switch was flicked, and all of a sudden it was all gone, mm. would we be closer to God? I think my very short take on it is a couple of things. I think when I think about that question, number one is I always go back and remember that God is good. Yeah, that um, He's not the cause of the suffering that Satan is. Um, in, in in certain thing, you know, we've talked about lots of things, and then um, you know, if there is suffering or pain or sickness in my life, I don't blame God for it. Um, it's living in a broken world, you know, COVID, whatever sicknesses and and stuff like that. Um, but I I choose to not dwell on the fact that this is suffering for me. I well, most of the time, okay, like I'm human too. Um, I try to choose to dwell on the fact like, well, what does God want me to learn through this situation? Mm. Um, what does God want for me? Well, if I'm sick and I can't go to church this morning, does he just want me to sleep or am I, you know, do I need rest? Do I need to sit with him? Do I need time alone with him? Do I need to listen to a sermon? Do I need to, to worship? And um, what is it that he's, what, what, you know, how can he get my attention in this moment rather than letting the sickness or letting the pains of the world get in the way of my relationship with him? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And that's all. Uh, you probably all want to go home now. <laughs> well, they shouldn't be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not hungry. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we have. Yeah, we've already <laughs> had coffee. So, yeah, that that then draws us to the end of today's service. If your question didn't get answered, talk to Caleb afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that and something a little bit different. And happy Father's Day to all the dads, and um, enjoy some time together. Um, families and yeah friends all right thanks for listening to today's message for more information or to listen to other podcasts head to our website at bethelcrc.org.au or check out bethel family church on facebook